0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. After long last, 25 years, God's promise to Abraham and Sarah came to bear. because, miraculously, Sarah bore a son in her old age, as well as Abraham's old age. Wonder of wonders. They have a son together this time. And God had brought it about. Where the elderly couple once scoffed in mocking laughter when God reiterated his promise of a son. Joyous laughter of thanksgiving and gratitude now comes through the gift of a son. But will the promise last? Because eventually, God tells Abraham something curious. Sacrifice your only son. And Abraham is willing to go through with it. Somehow, this is a picture of faith. But if this is what faith is, do you really want it? We might console ourselves with The thought that God didn't make Abraham go through with it, instead provided a ram for the sacrifice, which makes us think forward in time to the sacrifice of of Jesus, of Christ, where God really did offer up his only son. But yet the question probably remains, how could God even ask this of Abraham in the first place? The question becomes even more pointed When you realize that this is not just any example of faith in the Bible. It is the example of faith in the Bible. When Paul wants to provide the definitive example of justification in Romans chapter 4. He turns to Abraham. God promises Abraham that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And Abraham believes God. And it was counted to him As righteousness. Abraham believed God's promise. And God considered Abraham justified by faith. His faith was his righteousness. Following St. Paul Lutherans call this justification. And we hold that we are justified by faith in Christ alone. The fact that Abraham did offer his son. Is then cited as proof of his faith by James and Hebrews. So we really can't get around this text at all. To make matters worse, God is not asking Abraham to just kill his son, but to kill the one through whom all the nations would be blessed. Through whom Abraham's descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. So the order to sacrifice Isaac is not only a catastrophic event for Abraham's family, But it has the potential to be a catastrophic event for the whole world. God's test not only contradicts Abraham's natural affection for his son, but it seems to go against God's own promise. Because the promised Savior was to be from Isaac's line. So is God telling Abraham to wipe out all hope for humanity? And in the face of all of this, how does Abraham react? What does he feel? The astonishing thing about the text is it doesn't really say. Abraham does not seem to tell Sarah what God had commanded. Abraham does not tell Isaac, at least the Bible doesn't record it, of what God had told him to do. Abraham does not tell the two servants with him what God had said. Not exactly. The text says nothing about Abraham's feelings at all. Perhaps Abraham was filled with resignation. Perhaps he thought he would go through with it and then return to Sarah, broken man at the age of 100. He was young enough to want to be a father, but boy, this would probably squash those hopes and dreams. Would he give up hope? The Bible doesn't tell us that any of these thoughts went through his head. But it does tell us that the promise turned out to be stronger than anything else. So much of the text doesn't mention things like despair, doubt, anger, anxiety. So we perhaps speculate to our detriment. We ask what ifs. What will happen to Abraham afterwards? Will he be branded a murderer? Will he be expelled from his community? How could his wife Sarah still live with him after something like this? How could he live with himself? But again, the promise turned out to be stronger than anything else. So much so that the text does not mention guilt or fear either. No matter what Abraham experienced, whether these or others that we can't imagine, the book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham was willing to go through with it because he believed something. Abraham considered that God was able to even raise Isaac from the dead and so keep his promise. And we have some ambiguous clues about this in the text. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. But Abraham says to the two young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Does this mean dead or alive? I will bring Isaac back here. Or when Isaac asked about the sacrifice, Abraham responds with, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Is Abraham just keeping Isaac from... The hard truth that seems to be so imminent. Or is this a statement of faith in God's promise? If we look at Genesis as interpreted by Hebrews, can we say that these ambiguous statements are actually ones of faith? Because God had promised Abraham numerous descendants through Isaac and Abraham did believe that promise, even though God himself Seem to maybe be taking that away. God makes a promise to you as well in various forms. The promise in your baptism is. You are my child. I am well pleased with you. Another promise is found in the Lord's Supper. This is my body. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And more generally God's message to you in the gospel is. I am your God, you are my people, your sins will not break that relationship. But sometimes tragic events seem to collide head on with the promises that we hold. One father, whose little girl was hospitalized with a serious illness, said to the pastor, I don't understand why God would let this happen to a child. And the pastor gave the only reply that he could. I don't know either. So what do we do when we feel that God has done wrong by us? One approach, and this is more common than you think, is to put God on probation. (laughs) You're not going to trust him. Until he shows himself worthy of your trust again. So if the little girl gets better. Hey, all right, we're on board. But if she dies. Will he ever be able to walk through the church doors again? Like Abraham, the man of faith. When we question to our very core what God is doing. Can we remember That God will provide. Can we believe that God will provide? In the meantime, what do we do with our anger and doubt, fear, worry? Well, the Psalms are filled with laments, complaints against God for seemingly seemingly failing to keep his promise. Psalm 13 begins... And I've actually used these words as well. Maybe you have too. How long, O Lord? How long? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart? All the day long. And Psalm 88 even ends with, Darkness is my closest friend. These Psalms, in a way, very much realistically, model for us a way to hand our complaints to God. But what you shouldn't do is wait until you figure everything out before you move forward in faith. Because then it's paralysis by analysis. Abraham certainly didn't wait until he could reconcile God's test with God's promise when Hebrews says that Abraham considered that God could raise Isaac from the dead, that is a way of saying that Abraham didn't know how God's promise could still be true. But he ascribed to God the power and the faithfulness, the hesed, right, the steadfast love to keep his promise anyway. Faith says and considers that God always keeps his promise, even when life itself seems to be slipping away from us. A young Lutheran school teacher went through a divorce. She was struggling with the question of whether she still believed in God or not. She felt God had let her down and just couldn't figure out where she was in her faith. But when she taught the faith, she noticed that it still came out of her mouth with conviction. Even though from time to time she may have doubts. Luther's advice in a case like this is to go ahead and experience doubt. You can't help it anyway. But don't draw any firm conclusions contrary to God's promise. Don't. Luther says that doubts are like birds. You cannot stop them from landing on your head, but you can stop them from nesting in your hair. So it wasn't really an intellectual exercise of her figuring out whether she believed. She just had to watch herself over time and realize that she actually perceived who God really was. Thanks be to God by the power of the Holy Spirit. She knew who God really was. A God who is faithful, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. A God who keeps his promise. And in the end, the promises of God are what you have. Abraham's test is your test too. Just when God's promise seems to hit a dead end. God provides. Where we might scoff in mocking laughter when we hear God's promise of a son. Joyous laughter of thanksgiving and gratitude now comes through God's gift of his son. See. So remember. Remember the God who gave Abraham his son back. Remember the God who took on flesh, one from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember the God who lived every moment of his life perfectly out of love for you. Remember the God who put an end to all separation between God and man. Remember the God who rose from the dead. You see, God did not spare his only son. So St. Paul asks us, what shall we say then in response to this, to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Amen. And may the peace which surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.